I thought you'd like that video. Great way to start out the new year, huh? Ephesians chapter 2, find it on page 827 in your Bibles. I hope everybody will open up a Bible today. Uh, we're going to look at some things. But we're going to talk about something called grace, which you've heard so much about, but it's got a little twist today. Grace in vain. What does that mean? Paul talks about grace in vain. And so we're going to kind of peel the layers back on this one and try to understand what God's talking about in terms of grace. But let's talk just a little bit about grace. And I want to just share a simple little story with you to help you understand just a little bit. This man and his family moved into a new town. And it was a couple days after they got in town. And he wanted to go mail some letters. And so he was walking down Main Street. And he was trying to find the post office. And he couldn't find it anywhere. So he happened to find this young man. And he walks up to the little boy. And he says, uh, excuse me, son. I'm looking for the post office. Can you tell me where it is? He says, sure, just go down two blocks and turn right. Can't miss it. He said, thanks. He said, by the way, son, I'm the new pastor in town. And he says, I really want you to come to church because I want to show you how to get to heaven. And the little boy looked at him and says, oh, shucks, sir. You can't even find the post office. <laughs> I want to clarify, how do you get to heaven? How do you? How do you get to heaven? Because I see people and I continue to talk to people that are trying very hard to work their way to heaven. You can't do it. Let, let me illustrate that, okay? Look how high the ceiling is. That's a pretty tall ceiling. Now, yesterday I was working in someone's house and the ceiling was about seven feet, maybe six and a half feet tall. And it was easy. I had to work up in the rafters. And here I was, or the floor joists. And I'm, and I'm working in there. It was easy to touch. I could touch it. Piece of cake. Didn't have to stand on the ladder. Could reach everything I needed to reach. But this one's a whole lot different. Right? Now, if I told you that you had to, in order to get to heaven, you have to touch that ceiling. But you can't use anything to help you. You can't stack up chairs. You can't stack up pews. You just got to get there all by yourself. Could you? I don't care how hard you try. You can't get there. And if you can't get there, then God had to come here. And there's no other way. And grace is that God decided to come down here in spite of us. Not because of us, in spite of us. There was not one person on the planet who was righteous and perfect except Jesus. And so God came down and treated us way better than our sins deserve way better than we deserve. And since we couldn't get there, God came here. Okay, do you understand that? And I see heads kind of going, uh, yeah, sort of. Um, but you know what? I'll tell you what's going to happen if I sat down with you right after this service and said, okay, so how do you get to heaven? Some of you would say, well, you got to be good. No, you don't. That's not how you get to heaven. See, one more thing before we look into Ephesians. 
Back at the Reformation, let's go back 500 years. At this time frame, right now, the Reformation was, was really kind of starting to heat up. And there were three things that Luther stood for and would have died for. Number one is grace alone. Not works, grace. Number two, faith alone. Faith alone says that if God came down to this earth, died on the cross, then I get to heaven when I believe it. That's faith alone. And number three, scriptures alone. That's why each and every Sunday we open up the Bible. I want you to see it for yourself and have faith that, as God says, will move mountains because you believe in Jesus. And it's all based upon God's grace. Nothing more, nothing less. It's all based on grace. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, page 827. Find verse 8 and 9. I want you to read these with me. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, I hope you'll memorize that one. You're saved by what? Grace. Is it from you? Absolutely not. God says it's not from works so that no one can boast. That means not one person can take credit for their salvation. And we all want to do that. Sometimes we'll say, well, I have to receive him. Then I'm going to heaven. Well, be careful, because who's the focus on? Me. God came down and did it. And I can't do anything. I mean, I'm like a cup sitting here that's empty and God fills it out. What did I do? Nothing. I mean, you don't go to a restaurant and hold your cup out for the waitress to pour coffee in it and say, didn't I do a great job of holding my cup out for you? You don't do that. You say thank you when they come and they bring it to you. And when God comes and brings salvation, it's by his grace. And all you can do is say, I believe it. And that's it. And I should probably just say amen and sit down because you got it. If you get that, you got it. And it has nothing to do with you being good. It has nothing to do with comparing yourself to others. It has nothing to do with what you didn't do or what you did do. It has everything to do with whom? God. Okay, now, with that in mind, now turn to Corinthians, just back a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, page 819. Because we've been studying Corinthians, this little section here, and I encourage you and challenge you. How many of you read at least a little bit of Corinthians during the week? Way to go. Way to go, because you're learning more about Paul and writing his letter to the Corinthians and now we're going to see something a little bit deeper in chapter 6 here. We're going to read just one verse. I want you to read it together with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, 
we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, who is he talking to? The church that was in Corinth. So, is he also talking to the church in Bullet Creek? Absolutely. He's talking to us, too. So, I don't want you to think, oh, this was for those people in that bad church in Corinth and all that bad stuff that was going on. No. God's talking to us this morning. And he's saying, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. How do you do that? How do you receive grace in vain? Here's how you do it. You receive it in vain in two ways. Number one is when you say, thank you for coming down to this earth, dying for my sins, but Jesus, I'm going to work my way there. I'm going to be good so that you'll notice I'm good so that when somebody asks me, are you sure you're going to heaven? And I can say, yep, because I'm a pretty good person compared to others. That's grace in vain. Because that means who's taking the credit for your salvation? You are. That's grace in vain. Well, then Jesus didn't have to come because you're going to do it all by yourself. Except the bad news is you can't. So why take credit for something you can't do? That's grace in vain. God gives it to you as a gift, and you say, thank you, but I'd rather earn it. Well, you can't. All you can do is receive it, and it's God's gift to you. The second way you receive it in vain, and this is why Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Remember, they were a church a lot like in Las Vegas. It was a magnet, remember this, for everything that was bad. And what happens is that they would come into a relationship with Jesus. And they understood that God in his grace died for them and forgave them their sins. And they said, thank you, God. And then they went out and they began to live as though they had never heard about Jesus. Nothing changed. See, part of God's grace when God comes to us is he comes to change us and transform us. Change is the number one indicator that God is working in your life. Because if you keep doing the same things, then nothing is happening. Then God in his grace, it stopped. And you said, thanks, but I'm done. I'll go back to my old life and do whatever I want to. Remember this from last week? Living B.C., before you came to Christ. And that's what they were doing. Where we learned last week, God made us a new creature. But they wanted to go back and do the old. And as soon as they started doing the old, that was B.C. thinking, before Christ thinking, that was receiving grace in vain. Okay, let's try to uh, find something that's going to help us understand this. Turn a little bit further towards the front of your Bible to the book of Romans which is right before Corinthians. I want you to find Romans chapter 6. It's on page 799. Now, Paul wrote a letter to the church that was meeting in Rome. This was another house church. But you can see when Paul was writing this letter that he was thinking an awful lot about Corinth and what was going on in Corinth. 
And so he was writing, even though he's writing to the church at Rome, it probably made its way back to the church in Corinth. And they would read this and understood that it was probably them that Paul was thinking about as he wrote chapter 6. Look at verse 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. Okay, what does this mean? Do you realize that there's no sin that you could ever commit that God's grace can't cover? I hope you realize that. It doesn't matter how bad you are. If you're this bad, God's grace is bigger. If you sin little, God's grace covers. If you sin immeasurably, God's grace is even higher. There's nothing that you could ever do to fall out of God's grace. Because God's grace covers all. And it's a hard concept to live in grace without taking it in vain. And so Paul said, well, as long as we have all this unlimited grace, here's a brilliant idea. How about we just sin a whole lot more? Wouldn't that be a great idea? Let's just have fun. We'll sin a whole lot more because God's grace will cover it all. Paul says, is that what we should do? And he says, no. By no means. Then he says this next part. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, what does that mean? Most of you were probably baptized. If you haven't, I hope you get baptized. But there's something in baptism that sometimes we miss when we pour water over the child. And it's okay to pour water over the child. See, some of the writings that date back to 100 AD, to earliest writings, gave guides for baptism. It said, suggestion number one when you do a baptism, take the person down to living water, like in a river, and submerge them in the living water. Number two, if you can't do that, carry water from, the living, from that living water, bring it to the person, and just pour it over them. You know, that's what we do, because we take our water from living rivers underground, wells, and that's what we do. We pour it over the person. Number three, bring them to a dead body of water, which is a lake, submerge them. If you can't do that, just take a bucket, Bring the water to the person, pour it over them. So in other words, it really doesn't matter. But what we miss when we pour water over them is the significance of baptism. Baptism is when we take a person, like take a child, and hold them underwater. Now if you hold them underwater too long, what happens? That's the purpose. That's the whole idea of baptism. You want to destroy or kill that old, sinful nature, person in that child. And as soon as they come out, what do they do? If you hold them under for a while. <gasps> right? They gasp. What's God called it? We just read it. New life. It's breath. That's what God says about life. It's breath. So the symbolism of baptism is to destroy the old sinful person and then let the new person live for God. 
That's what God means. And so what it means for you and I is that there's going to be a wage, a, a, a battle that's warring in you for the old and the new. Let's go on, and then you'll, you'll understand this further. Jump down to verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Count yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Well, I pondered this all week long, and I'm like, how can I explain this? I think I can explain it this way. Since I've come to Messiah, I packed on a few pounds, about 20 of them. So, new year, new you, I'm on a mission. One of those things is I'm going to shed these 20 pounds. Now, what that means for me personally is I have to say no to snacks, yes to vegetables. Okay? So, dead snacks, alive vegetables. Just like dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to brownies, alive to vegetables. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but it's a waging war for me. I mean, last night, I had a great plate of spaghetti at a friend's house and came home, and you know what I did? I went right for the brownies. But I justified it. Hey, I just had one plate of spaghetti so I could go eat my brownies. Two, three, four. Let me tell you, those brownies weren't dead. They were calling all the way home. And I was offering everybody in the family, you want a brownie? No, I'm trying to lose weight. You want a brownie? No, I'm trying to lose weight. Okay, I'll eat yours. You see, they're not dead. They're still alive. And they're calling. And I have to say yes to vegetables. So, okay, then I had to do the right thing. Okay, now, can you just imagine this? We watched a movie last night, The Great Debate. Great movie. And I love popcorn and movies. They go, like, hand in hand. I was eating my white cauliflower watching the movie. <laughs> you know, cauliflower may look like popcorn, it's not. It's just not. Do you see the war that wages? And it's hard. But I think spiritually, don't miss the point here, there's no difference. Sin calls. Do I do it? I don't want to do it, but I wind up doing a lot of it. And the good I want to do, says Paul, I don't normally do. I want to do it, but I don't do it. That's alive to God. This is dead to sin. And I don't know about you, but this battle, I'll, I'm going to lose. So there's something else that I have to do. I love to run. So I'm running on a treadmill. I'm exercising. And all of a sudden, God kind of like, the light bulb went on. God says, good. Now, if you're going to wage the same war between dead to sin and alive to God, you're going to lose that war every time, unless you exercise. 
And there was where God challenged me. Okay, Ed, are you exercising your faith? Yeah, that was part of New Year, New You. I get up every morning and I'm going through daily readings, reading through the whole Bible this year, taking extra time to be with God and pray and reading through the Word. God wants us to exercise our faith so that when sin presents itself, we can say, God, I don't, I don't want to do that, but I can't do this on my own. Could you help me? And sometimes I wind up doing it. But now, look at how this keeps going on. Then this will make more sense. Verse 12. Therefore, remember whenever God says, therefore, listen up, listen up, here's the point. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. It didn't say offer your body to God to earn your way to heaven. Didn't say that, did it? It said, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought to death, from death to life. In other words, because God took us from death and brought us to life, live your life gratefully. Say, God, I, I don't want to sin because of what you did for me. And I'm grateful for what you did for me. And it sums it up best right at the bottom, verse 14. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under what? Grace. What does that mean you're under grace? It means that God is covering you with grace right now. The sins you've committed, God's taken away. You're under grace. And if you have a day like I had yesterday and ate four brownies, and I could lay that night to rest, and I start new this morning with a bowl of cereal, I'm under grace. We start new every day with God. And God doesn't want us to beat ourselves up over sin, but to come to grips with it. So that we say, God, I don't want to keep doing this sin. I want to do what you want me to do. But God wants us to exercise our faith and grow and exercise so that we say no to this, not to earn it, but in response to what God did for us. And so friends, just know, you're under grace. You didn't earn that. It's God's gift to you. And God says now, as people of his grace, go live that way. Let's pray. God, I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to live under grace because we keep wanting to say we have to. We have to do this. This is what you want us to do. We better do it. We should do it. We ought to do it. But God, we're called to grace because of what you did for us. We didn't deserve it, and we're eternally thankful that we couldn't get to you, so you came to us. 
Please, God, strengthen our faith. Help us to exercise our faith daily so that we can say no to that sin. Why? Because we're under grace. You called us from death to life. May we live this life as forgiven people, the forgiven people of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.